Go ahead and get into our newest series that we simply call Crux. And so, that Crux is just a fun word. I just like the word Crux. It's just a cool word. If you're not familiar with the word Crux, you've probably heard it used in, in, the, in the phrase, the Crux of the Matter which is the, the heart or the essence of the matter. This is the, the, the pivot point. This is what it all comes down to. This is what it's about. So many times we can have arguments and different things and, and realize that the argument about where to go to lunch isn't about whether we go eat a burger or we go eat Mexican food. The argument sometimes is really about you choose all the time and I'm tired of you dominating our lives. And all of a sudden you find yourself fighting over this thing and the crux of the matter isn't whether it's Mexican food or chicken. It is control. That's the crux of the matter. That's what it's all about. And we find ourselves that so many times the, the periphery can, be, can make you think it's about one thing, but when we really get down to the heart of the issue, the crux, we find out that there's so much more and we're going to spend a good bit of time together in Romans. In fact, we're just going to start in Romans chapter 1 today, and we're just going to spend, uh, go through Romans chapter 8 in this series. <clears throat> and so go ahead and get your notes open, because when it comes to our life in God, the crux of the matter is that it all hinges on Jesus. Yeah, Brandon, this is pretty simple. I pretty much figured that. We understand that if you ask a question, in church, just go over to the nursery and ask the four-year-old. You ask them a question, and they're going to raise their hand and say, Jesus? Because they're pretty sure at church the answer is Jesus. They're pretty sure that's what you're supposed to say. And you know what? And so many times we can it can become that. It can become this rote thing that we're like, well, I'm dealing with some church thing, and I'm talking to the pastor, and so I probably ought to say, Jesus? Maybe, probably. And instead, we, we can, if we don't really know who he is and, the, and what this relationship with God is all about and is provided in Christ, then so many times it can end up becoming something else. And, and Jesus kind of becomes this little cliche thing in the middle of something that's it's supposed to be vibrant and life-giving and relational instead of just this little thing that's put on a shelf to the side. We uh, <clears throat> like to go to lunch, you know, that's obviously San Angelo's national pastime, and so we, we get so excited when there's a new restaurant, you know, people wait in line for an hour and a half to eat a burger at a new place, and so, because it's already eating all the burgers at the other places, and this is what we do, and um, so we like to go to lunch, and uh, you know, at, during the week, we uh, uh, frequent roses, because um, it's awesome. And so we go to Rose's one day, and it's me and, and Cutie, which is what I call my wife all the time. And we have everybody else is in school at this point, and we have our youngest one, our two-year-old, Preslin, that's with us. So we go to lunch, and then we ask Keenan and Nat, our worship leader, if they wanted to go to lunch with us. So I'm like, yeah, we'll go to lunch. So we go and just have a good time. So we go to Rose's, and Preslin is very much in that developmental part where she's learning all these new skills and learning new things and and you just never know when she's going to show it off and so we get in the booth and she's we're sitting down and she decides she's going to go around around the little booth and kind of name everybody so she's sitting there and she says it's, it's daddy and it's mama and it's keenan 
and that guy. <laughs> and we're like, um, that, that, that's, that's a gnat. And she's like, it's, 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 it's that guy. And we didn't realize how deep this went until a couple of weeks later, then they, she's out with Brooklyn and them, Cutie and I are something else, and they go to Chick-fil-A, and Nat is at Chick-fil-A, and she sees him from a distance, and she goes, that guy! And runs over to him and grabs his leg and just, just hugs him, oh, that guy! And, and, and that's, that's who he is to her. And here's what we don't. It's, it's cute for a two-year-old, and, and at some point, I, I'm just hoping, because that rhymes with a gnat. I'm wondering if she thinks we call him that. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's what she hears, is that. And so, um, but what we don't want is to settle on some level for Jesus simply being that guy. That guy on the cross. That son of God guy, <coughs> that resurrected guy, that nice teacher guy from a long, long time ago that said things that maybe pertain to me, maybe not. So many times it can just, Jesus can just become that guy. And we give him some title that were, removes the initial place of discomfort. To where when somebody asks, you know, Jesus, yeah, he's, he's, he's this, and then we've got our answer, but the relationship has not deepened. And what I want this journey for us to be is this place of this deepening. And let's say, Lord, help me to understand what who Jesus is and what this is about and the true nature of the good news. Because we can become so used to it and raised in it, we forget how revolutionary Amen. it is. What an amazing concept Jesus is. What an amazing truth of person Jesus is. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at Romans 1. We're just going to start in Romans 1, verse 1. And Paul opens up and he gives his standard greeting. He lets us know who's writing the letter. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. He can't get into his letter at all. And he's already got Jesus talking about. He's already talking about it. I'm a servant of what? Not a servant of God. Not a servant of people. Not a servant of all these different things. He has this, this ownership, this place. And he uses not just one of the terms of Jesus. We say, we call ourselves Christ followers. We're not uncomfortable at all just using the term Christ, which is more of a title than a name. He's the Messiah. We have no problems doing that, and we obviously have no problems calling him Jesus. And right here off the bat, he pulls in two of these things together that I am a servant of Messiah. Jesus called to be an apostle, which means a sent one. Set apart for the gospel, the good news. We have all this coded language we can miss. And it's, we don't just put in it that he's been sent and set apart for the good news of God. That God has good news. Not just you and I, but God. This is God's good news. The gospel, again, the good news he promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures. 
regarding his son. Here comes Jesus again. Who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David. Now we just see this, this uh, lineage thing referenced here, but Jesus is called son of David over and over again. This is another term for Jesus. So all of a sudden we've got Christ, Jesus, the sonship, and son of David. All of a sudden, boom, 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 we have all of these terms. It's just this wonderful, beautiful. He doesn't narrow in on one piece. He's not just Messiah. He's not just son of God. He's not just son of David. <clears throat> Paul can't hardly talk about him without making sure all of these pieces come in. He's never just that guy. And who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Boom, boom, boom. We would have no problems just referencing him as Lord, just referencing him as Jesus, just referencing him as Christ, obviously son of God. And here is just an introduction to this wonderful, rich letter to the Roman Christ followers. Here it is. We just see five distinct terms of who Jesus is. And Paul immediately begins to paint this broader picture of who Jesus is right off the bat. And I love it, that reference that he says the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. See, one of the things we have to understand is Jesus isn't just all of a sudden this thing that's thrust on the scene without any build. All of a sudden, if we see that, we see that there was just this, this dynamic speaker, this dynamic guy who gained some followers, and all of a sudden, right here at this, at this pivotal point in history, birthed this new thing. And it's not remotely a new thing. It was not remotely. It was a culmination, and it was this high point. But this thing had been talked about and been, and been looked for for generations and generations. This was not a new concept. The scriptures had pointed out to all that Jesus, uh, to all that Jesus would do. The scriptures had pointed it out. The scriptures had laid the framework. And Jesus steps in and walks in this, the fulfilling of scripture after scripture after scripture of what the Messiah would do. Jesus isn't this new blip that shows up. Jesus is this fulfillment, and he's still fulfilling things today. Let's just take a quick look at some of these passages, and you can find Jesus all over, all over the Old Testament. In fact, you and I have a harder time of seeing it because we read it from our Western mindset. And when we understand and you have a stronger grasp on, on the all of the stuff of the, the Jewish and the Hebrew culture and all of those different things, a lot of what pieces of their worship and the articles of their worship reference, you begin to see Jesus all through it. You go back and it's like, how, how was he missed? He's all through the scriptures. But let's just take the stuff you and I can wrap our minds around real easily. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Go to Isaiah 9. It says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne. That's why the son of David reference is such a big deal. And over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And then we're about to read the, just the, the first part of Isaiah 53. But I, I challenge you this week, get along with Isaiah 53 and read it. The whole thing just speaks of Jesus. You'll just see it just, just dripping with Jesus. You'd almost think that Isaiah wrote it on the backside, that somehow he had read the Gospels and then writes this, but it's completely reversed. Isaiah 53.1 says, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. I think it's interesting that here is this pivotal prophetic thing that even when Jesus showed up, everybody recognized. The culture of that time and the teaching of time recognized this as messianic. And here that here it is written in there that he would be rejected. So we see Jesus sitting there alone and rejected on the cross, and that was not an anomaly. It was something that was talked about and prophesied about. Like one from, from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our sufferings, yet we considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. We're the ones that considered that. We considered him punished by God and stricken by him and afflicted. And he was pierced for our transgressions. Wasn't his own. It was for us. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. There wasn't peace before and now there was peace because of what he did. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we're healed. We all all of us. This is the group that was being spoken to and everyone who didn't give a rip what was happening in Israel and with the Hebrew people, which was the rest of the world. This is being spoken to the Hebrew people. And he says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own ways and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was doing something that was going to impact all. And it was prophesied the whole time. See, I want us to, as we get down deeper into Romans, I want us to get this concept in us. Because in our day and age of this, this concept of, of political correctness and tolerance and all this kind of stuff, folks, you and I should be the most loving people on the planet. To people we disagree with, the people we agree with, we should just be loving but that doesn't mean we don't have opinions and thoughts and don't see the scriptures for what the scriptures say. We're just not jerks about it. We're, we should be loving. And in that somehow, in this, in this place of tension that we live where, where everything might offend somebody, we can find ourselves quickly being ashamed 
of what we believe. And folks, we have no reason to be. We have no reason to be. We can unashamedly share who Jesus is because the good news is for everyone. You know what? I get it. If we feel like that if we share this, that we're excluding somebody. That's what this whole tolerance thing is all about. Somebody's going to get left out. The gospel is for everybody. We don't have to be ashamed about it. It's for everybody. We all were jacked up. We all had gone astray. We all needed a Savior, and Jesus is him. And that's the good news. That is what this is about. See, Paul isn't ashamed because it's the most amazing thing that's ever happened. He's got no reason to be ashamed. Now, are people going to get it first time? Are they going to understand it? Not necessarily, but we don't have to be apologetic about it at all. Because I understand that somebody's loved more than they think they're loved. Do I have to be apologetic for that? No. No. I don't. And neither do you. And Paul was bold about it and said it in Romans 1.16. It says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And he wasn't pounding his chest and saying, you know what, a bunch of you are cowards out there, and you won't get out there and preach, but I'm not ashamed. And there's lots of Christians who love to just grab that little piece of it and put it on a t-shirt. I'm not ashamed. I think that kind of violates the spirit of the gospel. When we get all puffed up. No. It says, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the good news. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Because every person I have, a con I have a conversation with, it affects them. If they'll just dare to believe it, it's theirs. It's theirs. To everyone who believes, first to the Jew. They're like, well, that's unfair. No, it's not. They're the ones who were looking. They're the ones who had the prophecies. They're the ones who knew Messiah was coming. The rest of us were clueless and do our own stupid stuff. Praise God, somebody was, somebody was looking for Messiah and understood him. And when he showed up, praise God for that. First to the Jew and then to the Gentiles. We get in on it. Everybody who doesn't have Jewish blood coursing through their veins gets in on this too. For in the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as written, the righteous will live by faith. See, Jesus is the Savior of everyone who believes because everyone is in need of a Savior. And Paul spends the rest of Romans 1 breaking down how so many people have just kind of walked away and, and disconnected and ignored God and they've got no room for that. See, the gospel applies and we're all in need of a Savior. For those who completely said, I don't even think there's a God and, and didn't even try to find Him and those who diligently tried to connect with God outside of Jesus. We all need a Savior. Romans 1 18 says the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, it's not hidden, because God's made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, 
His internal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Creation itself, if we'll take an honest look at it, says God's there. And I'm telling you, there's some brilliant studies out there that show just what an amazing balance that our entire world, our globe, lives in. That if just deviated on any one of these things, life would not exist. You put all of these pieces together and you take random chance out of it. I don't care if there are scientists and people who just want desperately there to be no God. You sit there, you mathematically, it is just impossible. It just doesn't work. Creation itself says he's out there. He's there and we can ignore it and say, I don't want the implications of some sort of God and, and ignore that and choose to ignore it. But we have, there, it's, it stands in the place we have to make a decision with it. And he's been evident. The people are without excuse for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles and decided, oh, there must be a God. So now we're going to not really see it. We're just going to fabricate something with our hands and we're going to do the little bow down thing too and call it a God. And the scriptures say that's, that's foolishness. How can something you made with your hands have made you? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. See, religion and rationalization. We have this religion where we want to desperately do something to kind of deal with our brokenness. And then we have our rationalization that says, you know what, I'll kind of look at everybody else and, you know, I'm better than 50% of the people out there, so I'm just going to take my chances. You know, I'm a, pretty, I'm a pretty good person. And both of those things are this desperate attempt to just try to clothe and dress up our mistakes. Religion and rationalization are both trying to clothe what we desperately recognize in our own brokenness that something goes deeper here and there needs to be an answer. Years ago, I've told this story multiple times. I was uh, at speedball practice, a game that never really took off. And it was some version of soccer, and you throw the ball and kick it and do this stuff. And, and I played speedball in the sixth grade. And I know I, I, my hair is ridiculously straight. I mean, just like straight. And um, so I'd always had this one little little boy haircut, and I was in sixth grade, and, and my mom was like, you know, I was ready for a new haircut, but there was it couldn't do anything. So my loving, wonderful mom um, decided she had an idea that she would give me a perm <laughs> on the top of my head, just the top, um, so that it would kind of release and kind of like quit being so rigid. And uh, so I have no idea what's going on. So she pulls me out of speedball practice. I see her talking to the coach and coach calls me over and he said, you got an appointment. And I'm like, oh man, I I'm sick and I don't know it. It's bad, you know. It's always bad when you don't know you're sick. That goes deep. And so, you know, she loads me up. I'm like, where are we going? And she's like, um, we're gonna go do something with your hair. 
And man, I tell you what, no 12 year old boy wants her mom just making car blanche decisions on her hair. And so and I'm like, oh, she's like, no, no, we're gonna help you get it. We're just gonna do this. And, and then I get there and they, they, the ladies got all the stuff ready and they get me in there and they give me the, the perm. And they decided to use the, the biggest rods. I mean, it looked, I mean, you could have just taken like half inch or three quarter inch PVC and cut these rods. I mean, these are big old fat rods. And just to just give it a little bit of something else instead of just straight. So they put it in there, put the perm in there, left it in half the time because they didn't want it to, you know, to be permy. And, uh, and so, but it was just on this top part, okay, right here. Well, my hair, for whatever reason, like, loved this stuff. And it was like, it just drank it in. They put it on my head and it, it just took it and drank it in. And then when they pulled those ringlets off, the little things, you could, like, hear it. And they just went back. And then I'm sitting there and they're not letting me look in the mirror. And I have this ringlet, big old huge ringlet things, just on the top of my head. And they tried to rinse it out and wash it out. And my mom's like about to cry. And she just feels so terrible. And so now I've got this perp thing on the top and everything else is straight. So I look like a 12 year old with a bad toupee, man. It's just not good. And so the lady tries to cut it and get it going, and I was just, I, I, was, I was too bad. I should have just had a burr, man. I should have just said, just rip it off. But I, I've got a lumpy head, and that's a whole other issue. And so, and um, anyway, so we, wanted, we opted for the hair. And, um, and so, um, you know, then I have to go to school in the sixth grade with a toupee. Man! And so my mom feels bad about that, and she's trying to fix it, but it's, it's there. I mean, it's not fixed. It's there. And um, I'm one of the only, only guys in this room that can say they've had their, their forehead burned by a curling iron. And so, and as my mom would curl my hair, trying to make it do something else other than this thing it did. And, and so she goes, and she's like, uh, now this is the 80s, people, okay? This is the 80s. So go to the store. And she's gonna give me like some 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 nice some, some, some cooler clothes to help offset the offset. Uh, Don Johnson and Miami Vice were it. They're awesome. The linen suit, the shirt, that was it, man. He couldn't have got any cooler than Don Johnson. Problem is, Don Johnson didn't have a toupee. So I got the jacket and I got the pants and I got this. They didn't have the cool t-shirt that he wore so we got something else that kind of went but it kind of looked a little more like a hawaiian shirt <laughs> so i got this little florally hawaiian shirt and then i'm all decked out ready to go to school with my with my bad hair and my clothes that are supposed to offset this and that shirt almost did that shirt was almost loud enough that you saw it and not my hair and so instead of looking like don johnson um, you have to be really old to get this reference. But if you remember WKRP, <laughs> there's a guy named Herb. I look like Herb. I just had big ringlets on my head. And then my jacket. And I go into school. 
And I don't know if my classmates just were overwhelmed by the sign, but somehow I didn't get beat up. And I didn't get picked on. I, my mom's plan somehow weirdly worked. And, and I was able to grow the hair out and, and get that beyond us. But we, we do that. Religion and rationalization are just that. We have this brokenness, we have this thing, we have this land that's just there. These issues we hate in our lives that have these root things. And, and so we try to dress up. We try to dress up by rationalization and saying, it looks pretty good. It's okay. At least you've got hair. All of those different things. We put it on and say, well, my, my good deeds and my... My, my fresh clothes and my trendy thing, it's, it's going to offset. And religion and rationalization are just this desperate thing. To, and when it's all said and done, it's still there. It's not dealt with. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the answer. You've given me a little extra time, so let's go ahead and jump down to Acts 14, because Paul gets into all the, the wickedness and all that. You read out the rest of Romans 1, and, and it just it just gets to where, where life without God goes. It's just a mess. We just hit the highlights before, and it's that we're full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice, gossip, slanderers, arrogant, boastful, invent ways of being evil. We're jacked up. We desperately need it. But guess what? Acts 4, 11 and 12. We have Peter and John who are answering for a miracle of a lame man being able to walk. That's pretty awesome. And they're having to give an answer for it. And they're talking to the high priest and some other religious leaders there in Acts chapter 4. And, and, Peter, and part of Peter's answer to this, he says, Jesus, the stone you builders rejected. He's going back to the scriptures. Scriptures they know very well. It says the stone which you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under which have <clears throat> under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Those who have walked away and don't give a rip about trying to please God or have a right connection with God, and those who are working at it the hardest. We, there's only one place. And the gospel declares it. The good news declares it. That it is available to everyone. We are jacked up, messed up, and broken without him. But in him, we can be healed and whole and restored. Not based on something we plan to do or something we've done, but based on what Christ has accomplished. And that is all. That renewed life, yes, it changes the way we live and it changes the way we respond and it shapes us from the inside out. But that's not what makes us right with God. It's what Jesus did and Jesus did alone. Jesus said it in John 14, 6. Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, our bottom line, the good news is that Jesus is for everybody. For everybody. The person you like the most and the person you like the least. Jesus is for them. Jesus. Good, good news. As he brings life to us all. So what's our role? Our role is Paul's role. To be open about it, unashamed about it. 
Why do you have hope? Because God loves me and he loves you too. Why are you able to deal with the stuff that life throws at you? Because God loves me and expressed it in Christ. And guess what? He did it for me too. That is it. Our life, the crux of everything, comes back to Jesus. That's what it is. In him it all makes sense. And without him, it's a broken cycle. I want to create a quiet moment here. That if you're here this morning and maybe you've thought this whole time, this whole Christianity thing was about trying harder and doing better. And you recognize that that frustration you have within yourself, it's echoed in the scriptures. That there's something that's deeper that needs to be dealt with. And that's the fact that we need life. We need a Savior. We need someone to come in and set it right on our behalf. And it has been done in Jesus. And when we believe that, now I'm telling you, we step over from death to life right then. Right then. And then we get to grow in that new life. So if you're here this morning and you say, Brennan, that I believe. I believe that Jesus did this for me. I believe the good news that God loved me and expressed that in Jesus. And I want to place my faith in that. If that's you, I want you to lift your hand. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Yes, yes, yes. <coughs> Believers, lift your voices with these. Maybe those in T9 as well. And just, I want to just pray this first prayer with you. Say, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the good news that comes to me that you made me right with you through your son. I get it. It's not about what I've done or what I plan to do. It's about what Jesus has done. And I believe that today. I invite you into my life for you to lead me and change me from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes.